The Tea Stop In podcast series is inspired by the memory of the last surviving founder of the Australian Cinematographer Society, my friend, the late John Leake ACS. When he and his wife Marion retired from the film industry, they bought a little motel outside Sydney and it became a tradition for cinematographers and other filmmakers to stop in and have relaxed conversations about the industry and the craft of cinematography. It earned the nickname of the Tea Stop Inn. This series sets out to recapture the spirit of those conversations, but this time we're inviting you to listen in. T-Stop In. I'm Ben Allen and welcome to the T-Stop In. Shane Mario Rigiri CSI is the in-house colourist at Dolby Laboratories and in that capacity he's one of the most knowledgeable and experienced people in the world in dealing with HDR. The research and testing work that he does at Dolby inevitably involves technology and processes that will one day become available to the rest of us. When it comes to working with and watching high dynamic range images, Shane is already living in the future. Shane, welcome to the T-Stop Inn. Thanks, Ben. So what's your role at Dolby? My role at Dolby, that's a great question. I'm one of those guys with many hats. (laughs) My official title is a senior production engineer and a producer and colorist. Um, But really, my job is really a kind of a bridge between the technical and the creative. I work with a lot of engineers over here big brains, scientists, neuroscientists, and creating new tools, obviously, for Dolby Vision and other other technologies. And I'm the local creative to kind of say, okay, yeah, it makes sense to technology-wise. Yeah, what a fantastic position. So where are we, do you think, in the, in the creative evolution of HDR? Well, I think we're about 10 years in, if I'm not mistaken. And I used to say that, you know, HDR was in its infancy. But I think we're out of its infancy right now because you got to keep in mind, like only a few years ago, um, like the first Dolby Vision experiences that came to the consumer market, you know, they were just like just early and few and far between. But now we're seeing like, you know, more mainstream adoption, like $500 mm-hmm. HDR consumer TVs that can do both HDR10 and, and Dolby Vision. You've got Apple, they've integrated Dolby Vision into its like latest phones and I mean you can see there's like tablets and PCs and and even gaming has HDR in it. Game of Thrones. <laughs> That's in Dolby Vision, right? <laughs> I mean wow. HDR yeah. is like really here. So if you think about it in terms of talking to the industry, you can say HDR and both the the CE guys and the Hollywood guys, they don't even blink in confusion to that term. Even though it's not the de facto way of watching content yet, you know, it, it's coming about. Are you familiar with the guys over at mysterybox.us? They were making the point that, um, that HDR is like, designed to replace SDR and not to coexist with it, you know? And so they were saying like, well, it's not a question of if you should embrace HDR, but more of a question of when. And the reason I bring that up is that I hear that a lot from people. And before I didn't hear that. It's really a question of, well, should we? Now it's like, when should we? So that yeah. seems that, that the tide's changing a little bit. The idea is, is HDR here? No, yeah, absolutely. It's here. It's, it's happening. And, you know, how fast you adopt, how fast technology, you know, allows us to do things, that's going to be the question. I'm still rooting for the holodeck, man. <laughs> you know, I want the holodeck, honestly. I, I've said that before, and it's, it's, a, it's a very common theme for me because I, I want those experiences to feel real, you know what I mean? And, and mm. HDR is going to be 
a requirement to have experiences feel real. Uh, you know, having familiar luminances mm. and color levels in your media, that kind of stuff. You know, the real world is massive. It's, it's, it is HDR. And I think crafting yeah. responses, you know, that's what we do. A DP, a, a colorist, a, any of the artists, we're just crafting the audience response and their reactions. And so if you want to do that with light levels that we experience in our everyday lives, which is outside, you have to manage that somehow, right? Because obviously not every TV or tablet or is going to have the same response. I mean, that was the fault of SDR, right? That was the failing of SDR. It didn't manage those things. You got one signal yeah. going to 50 TVs <laughs> and you got 50 different versions and none of them are correct because none of them are 100 nits, you know, as seen in the mastering <laughs> monitor. The HDR and, you know, with metadata and all that kind of good stuff. That's the thing. You, you need to be able to control it. Yeah, adding a degree of precision to all that as well as expanding the palette. I was talking at the CIC um, up in Vancouver, uh, the Colorist um, International con uh, Conference, and these are just color scientists, pure color scientists, and I was talking to them about, you know, temporal aspects of luminance changes and how that's going to mm. become important, and I said, you know, I work with the scientists here all the time, and they hand me these stills of, you know, talking about, you know, looking at stills and looking at luminance, and I'm like, well, guys, this is just a still, you know, I, what happens when you move it and, and you move the values of, of, uh, of the luminance down and you force an adaptation that happens? What happens then? And this one lady in the back of the room raised her hand and said, you know, that's going to be extremely difficult. And I said, you're right. And I'm pointing it out to you guys because... That's the challenge. HDR is... The, I mean, many of the aspects are temporal. It's not just a single mm. still... You, you are going to go through adapta adaptation phases. You're going to have those things. And so if, you're, if you really care about the image uh, that the DP or the, you know, the colorist have you know, painstakingly crafted, right? Let's just talk about the DP side. That person is cr crafting like, this image inside the camera, and they're trying to create an audience reaction with that, those luminance levels, right? And they're capturing on massive dynamic range. If you care about that image and you want the audience to experience it, whatever monitor they can afford, you've got to manage mm -hmm. that, that image. And if you don't have metadata, how do you manage that image? I think where we are in the evolution of HDR is that we're finally accepting the idea of metadata being important and, and its role is going to increase. In my opinion, it's, it's going to increase. I hope it expands because we need that control. You need to have that skill not only by the camera and the capture through the editorial process, but also the delivery to the, to the consumer. Cause, so why throw it all yeah. away? <laughs> it doesn't make sense to, to do all that work and then just throw it away right at the end when it counts, right? Not manage it, manage, you know, spend thousands and thousands of dollars, maybe millions of dollars managing it through the pipeline. And then right when it counts, say, well, why do you, well, we don't need to manage it. So, so where, where are things at in terms of that metadata flowing through? I mean, there's industry standards that are that are working on that. There's live standards that are working on that. There's there's obviously standards that have been passed in, in various places around the, the world. I'm not 100% uh, up to date on where they all are in the world. I know that, you know, streaming, we can control all of that kind of stuff. In the theater, we can control those things as well. It's, it's coming of age. But I think the important thing in that is that People recognize it and also starting to recognize the potential with it. And we can get down to frame-by-frame frame metadata and give it really extremely accurate with very complicated content, you know, which just, wow. what, it, for us, it just it increases the, uh, not us as in Dolby, but us as in artists. It just increases the things that we can do and have an expectation that the audience is going to get it. 
what do you think, man? I mean, <laughs> how do you feel about yeah, yeah. this thing? You know, this this is not just me. <laughs> well, I think it's exciting because um, I, I was thinking about this the other day, and this is a metaphor that I guess is particularly appropriate given you're at Dolby, but the shift from standard dynamic range to HDR. And the, the best yeah. one I could think of was the step from stereo to surround sound. And it's not like anybody was probably sitting there going, oh, the stereo is terrible. We need to get surround <laughs> sound. But once right. surround sound was there and you experienced it in a theatre and you even more so mixed in that format and were able to place things around the room sonically, no one would ever want to go back to not having that. And I think that's kind of where HDR fits in creatively. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting perspective because I think I was, I was also part of a studio, uh, my first one of my first jobs in the industry was in a recording studio, so a sound and uh, post house. One of the interesting things back there, what I learned through is, is as you did your 5.1, you didn't go back and make mm -hmm. a separate stereo mix. Just like when we did Atmos, Dolby Atmos, at first the industry yeah. was hesitant. They'd do an, a 5.1 mix, and then they would generate their stereo, and then they'd do the 7.1 mix, or 7.1 and 5.1, you know, simultaneously. Yeah. And then they'd go back and do the Atmos mix. And then as they got experience with the Atmos uh, mixing consoles and the technology, they realized that we actually generate a better 5.1 and 7.1 from the Atmos mix with their, you know, it's like trimming controls. Wow. You know, and so it became a trust thing, you know, and that's what it is, obviously. Mm -hmm. we, all, we all know it. you're not going to move forward until you trust it. And so prove the, you know, prove the record, prove it works, that kind of thing. But... In Atmos, when we proved that the 5.1 and the 7.1 with just a little bit of, you know, decision making, they all of a sudden they started coming out way better. And, you know, pan wow. through arrays, you know, that kind of stuff, when you could pan through and move sounds around so much easier, you know, you're, you're not, they're sitting there, you know, gear jerking sliders all over the place. You're allowing the Atmos, um, you know, intelligence to kind of do that. So I think it's very, very good that HDR and mm -hmm. SDR in that in that same kind of realm because you know you master an HDR in big color volumes big brightnesses make all the decisions and then you you go downstream and you 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 decide okay well what should my 709 look like what should my thousand it look like what should my you know 600 it look like what should my 2000 it look like and and make those decisions and, and not just guess so, so what you really want is like a you know a Photoshop that's like Photoshop image that's you know 10 feet by 20 feet, you know, wide, make all the fine details as you can, and then shrink it to fit. You know, choose what you're going to throw away. Choose how you come down mm. from the 64 box of crayons to the 16 box of crayons. Yeah, exactly. You're taking that thumbnail and you're stretching it to your desktop. You know, that's what's mm. happening in your TV. You're taking a 100-nit signal and you're letting, you know, Panasonic or you know, Sharp or someone else decide what Steven Spielberg's content should look like, <laughs> right? So I said, for me, I'd rather have yeah. Steven Spielberg decide what Steven Spielberg's, you know, content should look like. Not that, you know, Sharp yeah. or any of those guys are doing a bad job, but, I mean, I just know it's not his decisions. His decisions are made on a 100-nit monitor somewhere, you know, and a very probably mm -hmm. a, a very expensive one and a nice one. So I'd like to see that, you know, what does he want me to yeah, see? Yeah. And so, you know, for Dolby Vision... Same thing. You start with the massive image, the massive make all the decisions, and as you map down to smaller and lower performance tiers, you decide how they should look. You might choose to put more wow. saturation in your 100 nit just to get that pop. You might choose to, you know, desaturate certain things 
and, and or bloom certain things in certain ways. Again, these are all creative choices, knowing that you're not going to get the high-end performance tier on every view. So a lot of the, the discussion about HDR kind of gets into the, the technical stuff very heavily. But how much potential do you think there is creatively with HDR? You're lobbing me the easy one, are you? <laughs> Here you go, Shane. You know, throw the throw the softball up right in front of me, right? You know, it's unlimited, man. It's unlimited. Like seriously, it it is it. I've worked um, when I first got here back in 2000. Well, I've contracted with Dolby since 2001, but I, I've started doing like almost uh, full time stuff in 2010, 11, that kind of thing. And I came on full time in 2011 and. At that time, they had a prototype uh, display system that could reach up to 25,000 nit. It changed my relationship with media, fundamentally. Completely blew me out of the water. Before I was introduced to that, I was working on the PRM, and that was 600 nits. And I was just in awe of the PRM 4200, right? I was like, 600 nits, yeah. oh, you know, like yeah. it's six times brighter. You know, I mean, I was just like, you've got to see these images. Stuff started to come alive. So, I mean, I get when the industry talks about how they think 1,000 nits is the end-all be-all. You know, I mean, I, I get it because I was in awe myself. But then I saw the, you know, this 25,000 nit display system and I was like, <laughs> It's a thousand nits. That's a product cycle. It's a product cycle, right? <laughs> I mean, literally, it's just to get to the next level and let technology catch up. Yeah. And so I, I'm really hoping that people understand that and don't not start to uh, just invest their their knowledge and, and effort into understanding what these new lit, nit levels that are coming are going to do and offer for the creative community. You know, as the industry moves closer to being able to give you like a full screen 3000 nit experience on these consumer devices, what Sony did a 10,000 nit one a couple of years ago, last year, it was an eye opening experience. Once we get those devices in our homes on the on the average, you know, like say 3000 nits, I, I like the 3000 nit level yeah. because when you when you get past when you get past 1500 to 2000 nits, all of a sudden stuff starts to take on depth. You start to see depth and stuff. You start to see um, intonation and skin tones that just simply were not there before. You, your eye is so good at understanding blushing and the different uh, mm. values in a skin and a face that until you get above those, those levels and get into real light luminance levels, like outside, if you're in the sun, your skin's 9000 nits in the sun, man. Shades like 600 nits. And, and you, you deal with that every day and you understand that very, very intimately. So once you start getting above, say, 2,500 nits in a home viewing environment, like full screen, I'm talking full screen, 3,000 nits, not this, you know, yeah. you know two pixels at 3,000 nits and the rest, of, you know, <laughs> 170. I mean, there's going to be a massive growth in the type of consumer experiences that we're going to be able to enjoy, you know, and not every storyteller or story will embrace HDR or needs to. It doesn't need to. Mm. These new tools and these new um, interactions, um, experiences, they're going to be there for us to use. But if we don't start now and looking at them and just accepting that they're coming and, and try to do some predictive like knowledge search and what these might cause us to have to understand in order to, to manage them, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's like SDR stretch to me. You know, it's like, okay, you can take SDR and just stretch it up into a 4,000-nit image. And, yeah, it, 
it definitely looks cool. You can take an Alexa image and, you know, lay it into 4,000 nits and yeah, it looks cool, but is that what you really were going for? So how early in the creative process should we really be thinking about HDR in terms to take full advantage of the possibilities? It needs to be in the seed of the idea. That early? Yeah. I call my, my creative process fishing for clouds. Right, (laughs) it sounds stupid but for me sometimes just trying to catch the idea is like fishing for clouds you know because the the idea that clouds need to be fished out of the sky by the writer or somebody the filet needs to be marinated by the director you know (laughs) you know uh you know fried crisp on the outside um but left moist in the middle uh, by the post team. There you go. That's that's it. Um, <laughs> served up hot by the exhibition team. <laughs> right? Just as the director intended it to be enjoyed. Right? But it's also going to be up to the consumer's ability to view the object uh, according to their budget. So it needs to permeate the process. You know, like percolate with all the departments, if you want to call it that. No, wow, that, that analogy is yeah. really, really wild. I guess I must be hungry for fish and coffee or something. <laughs> <laughs> It needs to be early in the art departments, yeah. in the makeup, in everything. And, and I think the DP really, they really are the key element, obviously, mm. to capturing these things. And I, and I really do hope that the DP can pull back this image by committee thing that's happening right now. You can tell it becomes vanilla, you know, and they're not painting with shadow and light and they have to get their job done. And, you know, I'm not talking about every DP. I'm saying a lot of content out there is image by committee. To me, it's rooting out the the, the power and the, and the art and the skill of the DP. HDR is definitely there. It's one of those things that a DP can have so much influence on that image and how it's mm. captured properly and how, how the set should be lit, you know, where the shadows are and what those ratios are. Because you're going after, mm. if, if you're using reality, reality is our understanding. We, we live in it. We understand light levels. We understand the interaction with light more than we actually un- think we do. You know, we, we have reactions and, and fi- feelings about light. A very intuitive understanding of a lot of that stuff. We spend our whole life in it, coming in and out of light, working with light, the feelings of light, the emotions of light, the feelings of the heat associated with light, cold associated with light, all those things. We have these Mm -hmm. deep, intimate feelings. And if the DP is trying to connect to the audience with an image, say something about that, that that touches upon that knowledge, touches upon that experience, then the amount of control that they need on that set is, I would say, different than, than what you would need to light an SDR set, I believe, would be different than the way you'd light an HDR set when you're going after certain reactions. Wow. And yeah, can you capture it? Yeah. Can you kind of manipulate it in post? Yeah. But I just don't feel they would be the same. Um, and. Based, that's based on some of the stuff that I do in shooting. And for me, I'm just trying to explore the, the fringes of what this might mean, what this might do for mm. us. And, and obviously, I'm not a DP. I don't call myself a DP. I don't have that skill set. I mean, I read the ASC. You do shoot, though. I do shoot. I do shoot a lot, actually. It really helps me understand in the color suite, in the editorial suite. It, I started out as an executive producer and worked my way down to a color suite. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, you know, I really enjoy the, the hands-on and understanding each one of those jobs. And I'm not saying I'm expert in them. Mm. I'm not. But understanding them and being able to be competent in them um, and understanding how hard it is and being able to communicate to the teams and be able to communicate with their words and their 
you know, challenges and, and, you know, things that they have to overcome, I think it helps to be able to at least experience those things. So, like I said, trying to have a DP who's, who's trying to say something and, and interact with the light, you need HDR, you need to manipulate it, you need to be able to manage it, you need to understand it. And that's, that's not something that is native to SDR. It's, it's not native. And yeah. it's different. There's a different language. And we're going to develop that language. Um, you guys are going to develop that language. You guys being DPs and cinematographers are going to uh, change it. Editors are going to change it. Um, we're all, as an industry, each of us are going to change what HDR means and add to the, the definitions in the language. And we're, as a team, mm. we're all going to kind of build on it. What's going on there? How and this what stuff are those affects reactions? the audience. Exactly. Psychophysiological interactions that the audience are going to have, they're going to be there. You have them every day. It just means how do you feel about the physical interaction that's happening to you? So it's not just it's not just a different uh, visual experience. There's a whole different physical experience with HDR that's, that's there as an option to kind of push those buttons in the audience. And a psychological reaction to those physical interactions. You have yeah, these you have these interactions daily. Walking in and out of light, walking in and out of, of strange places in the dark, walking in and out of the same strange places fully lit. Traditionally with SDR, we have to kind of simulate those things uh, using lighting tricks and writing the iris or using uh, the grading tools to be able to, to do dynamic changes there. But I think with HDR, there's a potential to, to give the audience a bit of that, that actual experience. Not only that, think about the the concept of normalization. How much normalization do we do on set? We throw out the dynamic of a scene a lot of times, and we don't mm. play upon it. Take, for example, a light. Uh, let's say it's a fairly bright light. Okay, in my room, in my, in my color room here, I've got four sconces on the side walls, and they're just kind of, you know, side lights. If you measure the light right underneath the light, pointing right at the filament, it's 3,000 nits. 3,000. But... The average light in the room is about six, seven. Pointing at the wall, you know, you can get down to, you know, one nit because it doesn't light up the whole room. I've got four 3,000 nit sconces in a very dark room, but there's four, like I said, four light source points that are extremely bright. Normally, if you were sitting in that room and we were filming in that room, you probably put some other lights up and fill it in and kind of just kind of normalize the light, make sure everything kind of balanced out, look for the face. And, you know, you might have some, you're obviously going to have some dark areas and bright areas, that kind of thing. However, if you were sitting next to that light, let's say you were sitting directly underneath it. If you kind of turn the chair where that light is pointing directly in your eye, and let's say I walk up to you and I'm standing against the wall underneath that light. So as you're looking at me, that light's right in your eye. If I take two steps yep. to my left, that's a different feeling. Take one more step to my left, that's a different feeling. Take one more step to my left, that's another different feeling for you. Mm. right? Those are different feelings. And you as the person in that moment would feel differently about having a conversation with that lighting condition. Well, we rarely use that in our storytelling. Number one, we can't reproduce 3000 yeah. net lights all the time. We normalize that stuff out. We don't expect to have an interaction mm. with it. We normalize to try to capture the image. So all of these things that you actually natively know and feel are tossed out that now with HDR are available. And managing wow. that with Dolby Vision, managing that through the pipeline and understanding what you're getting rid of at these different various light levels gives the creative so much more control. You need that kind of control because you're trying to manage that in that experience. Then communicate that to the audience. Hey, if you want the best experience, do this light level. You know, hopefully play it on this TV or go see it in this theater or 
you know, that kind of thing. You know, you got to monetize. We're, we don't work for free, right? I mean, you, you yeah. make content so that you can earn money so that you can make content, earn money, and, and live, right? It's part of our cycle. <laughs> That's right. You know, I mean, it's, there's a reality. I mean, if you're just about the art, great. You know, why wouldn't you use something like this to manage and, and really get your message across? Having these kind of control mechanisms and thinking about it from the DP side, I really do hope at some point that the DP is able to pull back that control over the image and, and that it becomes much more important mm. as part of the DP role of understanding those psychophysiological interactions <laughs> that the audience is now going to be having. Uh, with the content that they're now capturing. I, I can see uh, potential to bring back some of the mystery and some of the magic to the process. Yeah. I mean, you didn't have monitors when you're shooting film, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And th so there's a trust built into that process. Yeah, I'd love to have, you know, a, a DP in that time, you know, have, have, the, have everybody on the set come over and try to, you know, give him advice or her advice about her, <laughs> you know, their image on that celluloid. You know, what do you think that response yeah. would be? <laughs> so in this whole world, where does SDR fit in? Because it's not going away anytime soon. Well, I mean, SDR is still the most watched format. That They think it's going to change. I think it's going to change. For me, there's no doubt. You know, we have told some, some of the most compelling stories ever told in SDR. It, there's just brilliance there. When we're... When we're just using 48 nits for cinema or 100 nits in broadcast. I mean, there's just no denying it, obviously. And I think SDR is like the launch pad into all things possible with HDR. Mm. I remember with the, the switch to HD from SD in terms of resolution, it, it, it kind of went very, very, very slowly for a while and it picked up a little bit of pace and then suddenly there was this tipping point and, you know, you couldn't find an SD TV anymore in the shops. Yeah, it was about 15 years. It was about 15 years yeah. from that first test uh, till the first, uh, I think it was a baseball game broadcast. That was like like a big one. Like for me, it was baseball games, right? It's like, I can see the stands. I can see the people in the stands. Oh my God, look yeah. at this. This is so cool. <laughs> you know, like you couldn't see the people's faces in the stands before. You know, and they're like, well, there's Jim, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, HDR is opening up all kinds of new ways to tell stories. And I think SDR, yeah. HD did the same thing. And you had different considerations, you know, makeup considerations, you know, angles and, and being able to shoot, you know, wide and push in. And, you know, there was so many things that it, it created that then we had to get good at and saying, well, okay, if we're going to do that, oh, man, we got all these other considerations. And, oh, we got to do that. We got all these other considerations. Yeah. And the, better change the ISO, change that, you know, like just it created this new way of talking and thinking about it. And, I mean, that's what HDR is doing. I mean, HDR just defines a range, right? It's just a, an envelope. I guess SDR is just still inside that envelope. HDR expands it mm. a little bit. It includes SDR. Do we? I mean, I know I do. I still love going to see the silent films. You know, we have this Niles Film Museum out there in Fremont, and it's the uh, old Charlie Chapman studios. They play some real classics like Buster Keaton and Charlie Chapman and Laurel and Hardy uh, from the 19, early 1900s. It's a really interesting place. Wow. I think the website is NilesFilmMuseum.org. There's a guy who plays piano or a guy and a girl, you know, that plays piano. For, and it's, it's totally a cool experience, right? And we still pay wow. tribute to the silent film era today. So yeah. for me, it's logical that um, SDR is going to live probably along and within HDR experiences and that we're going to create them and probably somehow pay tribute to them in different ways, maybe think about them in different ways, kind of like the way we do with silent films or black mm -hmm. and white. 
kind of like when black and white, you're watching a color film and, you know, you flash to black and white, it means something. So now it's taking yeah. on this other meaning. I think SDR could easily do that. I, I would be surprised if it didn't take on some other meanings that are bigger than just the delivery, like the term SDR, you know, 709, yeah. Rec. 709, 100 nit. Isn't that true? Like, I, I believe it's true that they, they didn't even have a term for it or like there was no definition. They had to go back. When, when they were defining HD, they were like, well, well what do we have now? We better make a, uh, better make a standard for it. You know, I, I, if, I was, if I remember that correctly, that, like it was made after the fact. It had like, been around for so many years, and so they defined it post-using it. So I, I'm, I'm betting its meaning is going to change. So Dolby is one of those relatively small number of companies that were big in the analog film world and that have spectacularly made the transition to the digital cinema world. What's it like being in the middle of all that? You know, it's it's a challenge, and it's also very very cool because you know those those terms like cutting edge. I feel like I'm I'm mm. constantly not on the cutting edge, but like that that barrier of wind as the blades coming through. It's like I'm riding the front edge of that, and sometimes I have no idea where I'm going to fall. It's so much fun on a daily basis. It's frustrating sometimes because you see things and you know you want to do more, and you know that there's just not technology out there yet to do it. So tell us about your uh, grading room there at Dolby. I hate to, like, you know, throw this out there because insofar as, like, HDR rooms go, you could say I hit the jackpot. <laughs> because, like, honestly, for, like, let's say monitoring. Let's start there. I've got a Pulsar 4000 nits Rec 2020 monitor. I've got two PRM 4220s, which are, you know, 0 to 600 nit PQ, can go Rec 709, really accurate monitors. Omnitech XR scopes. Got an advanced panel for DaVinci Resolve. 64-core Resolve box with a 4M6000 24-gig GPUs inside. <laughs> and I've got an RSSD 7101B, which is like my favorite object right now. It's an NVMe RAID card that's pumping like 11.3 gigabytes a second out. I got two clipsters, three Resolve test boxes. I've got any TV, the latest all the TV, C7, C8, C9. Oh, should I tell you about my theater? I'm really extremely lucky to be working in this group. I, I support the imaging department. I've got a Christie 4230 in a screening room with 17 seat customized ATC speakers, 21 speakers, Atmos, Helmholtz base resonator floor, 17 dB noise floor in the room, and we're installing a Dolby Vision projector in there in the next couple months. That really, I mean, it's, it really is a benchmark kind of facility there then. You, you don't really want for anything because we're trying to support tomorrow's technology and, you know, you need speed. So they just said, you know, we got to do this. We got to see it. You know, you need to play 240 frames a second. Wow. Okay. There's no monitor that can show that, but wow. we, can, we can do data. You know, we can record data. We can do different things like that. I've got a workstation on my desk that uh, is all controlled by an AMX server. And uh, basically, I can touch an iPad and have, say, okay, make this a clipster and make this a, you know, a resolve now. And I can bounce between five or six different TPUs in the, in the server room. And uh, I don't have wow. to change monitors or keyboards or anything. It's all KVM, that kind of thing. But it really makes it efficient because I can be working on four or five different things and just, you know, touch a button and it'll jump over to that. And, or I can open up a new... I've got a couple different, you know, side panels here with monitors and keyboards on it. And I'll tell you what, it's a mixed blessing <laughs> because it means I, ha I, I have the ability of working and doing multiple things at one time. And a lot of times I'm just asked to do that because they know I can't. <laughs> it's like, can I just do one thing at a time, man? Like, please. Yeah. So what sort of work are you doing with all those resources? What part of my job is, is testing the future technologies that we're putting out. Also pushing the envelopes of grading right now, because a lot of the grading is at thousand nits. A lot of the stuff is in 
the industry because that's what the monitors are in the industry. Well, but not sitting on my desk. I got a 4,000 net monitor. I can go full screen and, and testing things, testing responses, testing what content would, what it would feel like, what it experiences, what kind of experiences are you going to get? Also just verifying workflows and, and making sure that as we roll things out that we've tested them and, and gone through them and, um, you know, done projects with them and make recommendations. You know, you can, you can feel how it's supposed to just respond, like how they, the tool's supposed to respond and give feedback to the tool makers and like, like Blackmagic Design, give feedback to those guys. Hey, you know, could we do it this way? It'd, it'd make us, you know, 10% faster or, hey, can we move this button over here because, you know, no one would ever use it there, or, you know, doing this kind of workflow. Oh. So we do a lot of stuff in this room. So you shoot as well as grade. Uh, what's your personal kit like? Wow, my kit. Well, um... All right, I'll, uh, I've got uh, two PD-170s that I still use for random stuff, which is pretty cool. Wow. Uh, i got a Sony HVR-V1U HDV wow. kind of guy. I've got a Sony 7D Mark II. I've got some GoPro-style cams, a bunch of little things like that. I've got a Blackmagic Design or some mini 4K, 4.6K. Viewfinder, shoulder kit mount, all that good stuff. Okay. Zacuto, base plate. Uh, Isn't that a great camera? Oh, man, I love it. I... I, I totally love that camera. It's such uh, a game changer and it's, it, it really does uh, democratize capture of content for, for just good storytelling. I mean, I think Roy Wagner, I mean, he just, he works that camera. I mean, he really makes it work and he knows what he's doing and that's what it takes. Someone who understands yeah. the optics, someone who understands the, the capture system all the way through to say, look, no, <laughs> it's great. You don't, if, as long as you understand your element that you're working with the system that you're working with mm. you do the tests and you take the time to understand your craft you can make beautiful images it's great how we can now kind of with the digital cameras experiment with uh, a lot of these older lenses and, and find different things in them to what you would find with them on film it's a language man you know and what do you what are you shooting what's the moment what's it call for you know is it a it's just it's so cool how, how do you think the fact that you you get out there and shoot some stuff informs your perspective in post huh well you know to help the story with like a tool set of a colorist i can do that but i think most importantly we need to do that the way that the creative team in charge of the image intended it to do right and intended it to yeah. look understanding that not just understanding my craft as an editor or a colorist helps me give perspective to decisions or choices or, or suggestions that I'll make. You as well as I know, I mean, sometimes it's a fix-it and post job, right? And sometimes that's the right thing. Absolutely. Or there's not enough budget or time. Time as well. Sometimes, sometimes there's just things that you know are going to be faster to do in the grade, like you know, darkening down the wall may take you know half an hour of fiddling around with a cutter and stands, and and you know that it's going to take two minutes in the grade putting in a power window. So it makes sense to do that stuff in the grade and give that time to the actors and the director. Absolutely, and you know, and that's a choice that as a DP and a colorist, or as a DP and an editor colorist. They can make those things. Um, but as, again, as you think about that, those things are going to change and those decisions are going to change as we do more and more HDR. What you choose to do in post and how you choose to do it in post is going to change on how, how you like that set and how much time you need to take. What you would come prepared to do, you know, it may, you, I mean, you may end up preparing more on the front end and, and know 
and, and try to seek out other technologies to, to maybe wrap that wall in black versus paint that wall in black. You know, instantly wrap it, pull it down, and wrap it quickly so it only takes 10 minutes versus 30 to paint it. You know, I mean, there's there's these things that are going to happen, and wrap is, you know, like the, the sticky stuff, right? You kind of, like car wrap. You see these cars wrapped with, like, advertisements. You might decide, okay, well, we need to wrap that wall or whatever, you know, so get on that. Buy that's part of the, the budget because we don't want to have to paint it, but we can, you know, definitely get it in a matte black wrap. There's all these decisions and choices that we're going to be able to make as HDR, you know, starts to blossom. But as I think, as I was trying to say, you could probably wax poetically and for hours on the blessing of having budget, <laughs> right? And, and being able to capture things yeah. in camera, you know, the context and the emotion or, um, that these colors can help with and various levels. But when it's not yeah. there, it's the colorist's job to really kind of, I don't know, go through the discovery process, you know, with the people that mm -hmm. are making this, making the, the images and deciding, like you said, you, as you're on set, you know these things, and so you're kind of you're kind of there. You understand what that discovery process is. But if, if a person isn't there, and and they're not on set, and they don't shoot, and they're in the color suite, and they're they're trying to understand the and get the you know the conveyance from the director or the DP, they're trying to get this mood or whatever. You know, it's going to be this this discovery process between those two people or multiple people of what do they mean, number one, what kind of reaction, and number two, and and does, here's some suggestions, you know, number three. But it's just a discovery process. And, you know, being on the backside of a camera, uh, knowing how challenging it is to get it right, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's, that, that seriously helps me communicate um, and explore kind of options. So uh, where do you see where do you see technology going in the industry in the next few years, especially in terms of HDR? What's what's your guess of you know where it's going? Uh, no comment. Because <laughs> <laughs> the pace of change is incredible. It really is. I'm not a soothsayer, but uh... I can tell you that Dolby Vision experiences are, are definitely going to become more accessible. So HDR, really high-end managed, when I say Dolby Vision experiences, for me, it's, that's the term for HDR. Because without a managed HDR, it, it just, it, it's just a range. To me, Dolby Vision implies mm -hmm. the, the, the full ecosystem managed from you know, concept all the way through to delivery to experience. That's, to me, a Dolby Vision experience. And so I think those are going to become more accessible. It's obvious. I think device technology, that's going to get better and, and more sophisticated. You know, higher peak brightnesses, 12-bit, 14-bit, etc. Creatives are going to be able to push the envelope further, obviously. They're going to be able to connect audiences in new, uh, just new and interesting ways, I think. Once you see HDR, <laughs> you can't unsee it. And, and that's some of the, the selling properties, I think, of HDRs. Like, I'd love to have you come into my studio here and, and let me show you some of these pieces that, that I've worked on. And once you see them, you're like, I can't unsee that. I, I can't look at SDR wow. the same way. So, like, the new tools for managing lower performance tier monitors, I think far-reaching, maybe customized individual experiences. It doesn't take a, you know, a soothsayer to, 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 to look at the world and look at YouTube and look at these these streamings, uh, streaming technologies and say, uh, and also advertising, the advertising community is just saying, okay, it's going to get more personal, you know, personalized, you know, to you, you know, um, to me, 
Ben, uh, you you would love this movie, you know, like it's going to be and, and and we can we know how to play it for you the way you love it. Um, you know, I imagine those kind of yeah. things are going to be there. I think reality referencing. I think that's that's a concept I, I'm really looking forward to of, of like I said, the holodeck, man, I'm, I'm holding my I'm holding out for it. I really am. I hope I'm here in this world when this happens. But to get yeah. the concept of having a real experience by watching or engaging in your media when you know it's not real, but you feel like it's real. Um, I'm hoping to get on the other side of that. Like I'm trying to push the other side of that. Like what does it mean to have all the real interaction, but then tweak it in such a way that it's hyper real or just unreal real? Like what is that term? What is that feeling like? How do you experience something yeah. like that? And what would that look like? Exciting times ahead. I think so. I really think it's exciting now, seeing this transition, but embracing it. But it's about not being limited by that, by having more options beyond that. Yeah, it's just bringing more of the possibility of the reality that you experience every day to make that part of the storytelling and be able to call upon those interactions. Even if they're not exact, you can call upon the familiarity because it's, uh, it gets into predictives. Um, kind of when you know things are going to come, you, you have less aggravation or frustration, mm. you have less panic, and you can program that into your scene. It's like, uh, it's like moving your eyes back and forth, left and right, really fast. They say your, yeah. heart, your heart rate's supposed to go up. Well, well, I mean, it makes sense. If you're look, doing yeah, that, cool. you're looking for like the, the animal or you know, the lion coming at you or whatever, and so your body preps it for running or whatever. So there's all these things that, uh, that are going to be available to us as storytellers that have to do with light, that have to do with light over time, that have to do with our interaction with light. Uh, obviously, sound and all that kind of stuff is all included on top of this. But, you know, talking about HDR in general and in specific, I mean, it's, it's a really, really exciting time. Fantastic. Shane, thanks for stopping in. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. 